Book Two, Chapter Three of the Cathedral by Hugh Walpole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three: The May Day Prologue. May is the finest month of all the year in Glebeshire. The days are warm, but not too hot. The sky is blue, but not too blue. The air is soft, but with a touch of sharpness. The valleys are pressed down and overflowing with flowers. The cuckoo cries across the glassy waters of blue harbours, and the gorse is honey-scented among the rocks. May Day in Polchester this year was warm and bright, with a persistent cuckoo somewhere in the dean's garden, and a very shrill-voiced canary in Miss Doble's open window the citizens of polchester were suddenly aware that summer was close upon them doors were flung open and the gardens sinuously watered summer clothes were dragged from their long confinement and anxiously overlooked mr martin the stationer hung a row of his coloured polchester views along a string across his window the dark covered ways of the market-place quivered and shone with pots of spring flowers and old simon's water-cart made its first trembling and shaking appearance down the high street all this was well enough and customary enough but what marked this spring from any other spring that had ever been was that it was jubilee year it was on this warm may day that polchester people realized suddenly that the jubilee was not far away the event had not quite the excitement and novelty that the jubilee of eighteen eighty seven had had there was perhaps in london and the larger towns something of a sense of repetition but polchester was far from the general highway and although the picture of the wonderful old lady now nearly eighty years of age was strong before every one's vision there was a deep determination to make this year's celebration a great polchester affair to make it the celebration of Polchester men and Polchester history and Polchester progress. The program had been long arranged, the great service in the cathedral, the ball and the assembly rooms, the flower show in the St. Leith Castle grounds, the torchlight procession, the croquet tournament, the school children's tea and the school cricket match a fine programme and the jubilee committee with the bishop the mayor and the countess of st leith for its presidents had already held several meetings nevertheless glebeshire has a rather languishing climate polchester has been called by its critics a lazy town and it must be confessed that everything in connection with the jubilee had been jogging along very sleepily until of a sudden this warm may-day arrived and every one sprang into action the mayor called a meeting of the town branch of the committee and the bishop out at carpleton summoned his ecclesiastics and joan found a note from gladys sampson beckoning her to the sampson house to do her share of the glorious work it had been decided by the higher powers that it would be a charming thing for some of the younger polchester ladies to have in charge the working of two of the flags that were to decorate the assembly room walls on the night of the ball gladys sampson who unlike her mother never suffered from headaches and was a strong determined rather masculine girl soon had the affair in hand and the party was summoned i would not like to say that polchester had a more snobbish spirit than other cathedral towns but there is no doubt that thirty years ago the lines were drawn very clearly indeed between the cathedral and the others 
cathedral included not only the daughters of the canons and what mr martin in his little town guide-book called general ecclesiastical phenomena but also the two daughters of puddifoot's sister grace and annie truden the three daughters of roger mackenzie the town lawyer little betty colander the only child of old red-faced major colander mary and amy forrester daughters of old admiral forrester and of course the st leath girls when joan arrived then in the deanery dining-room there was a fine gathering very unsophisticated they all would have been considered by the present generation lady rose and lady mary who were both of them nearer forty than thirty had of course had some experience of london and had been even to paris and rome of the others at this time only betty colander who had been born in india and the foresters had been farther in all their lives than drymouth their lives were bound and happily bound by the polchester horizon they lived in and for and by the local excitements talks croquet bicycling under proper guardianship raphael or bouquet or clinton in the summer and the occasional very very occasional performances of amateur theatricals in the assembly rooms moreover they were happy and contented and healthy for many of them jane eyre was still a forbidden book and a railway train a remarkable adventure polchester was the world and the world was polchester they were at least a century nearer to jane austen's day than they were to george the fifth's joan saw with relief so soon as she entered the room that the st leath women were absent they overawed her and were so much older than the others there that they brought constraint with them and embarrassment any stranger coming suddenly into the room must have felt its light and gaiety and happiness the high wide dining-room windows were open and looked over sloping lawns down to the pole and up again to the woods beyond the trees were faintly purple in the spring sun daffodils were nodding on the lawn and little gossamer clouds of pale orange floated like feathers across the sky the large dining-room table was cleared for action and gladys sampson very serious and important stood at the far end of the room under a very bad oil-painting of her father directing operations the girls were dressed for the most part in white muslin frocks high in the shoulders and pulled in at the waist and tight around the neck only the mackenzie girls who rode to hounds and played tennis beautifully and had all three of them faces of glazed red brick were clad in the heavy harris tweeds that were just then beginning to be fashionable joan who only a month or two ago would have been devoured with shyness at penetrating the fastnesses of the sampson dining-room now felt no shyness whatever but nodded quite casually to gladys smiled at the mackenzies and found a place between cynthia ryle and jane darcy they all sat bathed in the sunshine and looked at gladys sampson she cleared her throat and said in her pounding heavy voice her voice was created for committees now all of you know what we're here for we're here to make two banners for the assembly rooms and we've got to do our very best 
we haven't got a great deal of time between now and june the twentieth so we must work and i propose that we come here every tuesday and friday afternoon and when i say here i mean somebody or other's house because of course it won't be always here there's cutting up to do and sewing and plenty of work really for everybody because when the banners are done there are the flags for the school children now if anyone has any suggestions to make i shall be very glad to hear them there was at first no reply to this and every one smiled and looked at the portrait of the dean then one of the mackenzie girls remarked in a deep bass voice that's all right gladys but who's going to decide who does what very decent of you to ask us but we're not much in the sewing line never have been oh said gladys i've got people's names down for the different things they're to do and any one whom it doesn't suit has only got to speak up soon the material was distributed and groups were formed round the room a chatter arose like the murmur of bees the sun as it sank lower behind the woods turned them to dark crimson and the river pale grey the sun fell now in burning patches and squares across the room and the dim yellow blinds were pulled halfway across the windows with this the room was shaded into a strong-coloured twilight and the white frocks shone as though seen through glass the air grew cold beyond the open windows but the room was warm with the heat that the walls had stolen and stored from the sun joan sat with jane darcy and betty collander she was very happy to be at rest there she felt secure and safe because in truth during these last weeks life had been increasingly difficult difficult not only because it had become of late so new and so strange but also because she could not tell what was happening family life had indeed become of late a mystery and behind the mystery there was a dim sense of apprehension apprehension that she had never felt in all her days before as she sank into the tranquillity of the golden afternoon glow with the soft white silk passing to and fro in her hands she tried to realize for herself what had been occurring her father was on the whole simple enough he was beginning to suffer yet again from one of his awful obsessions since the hour of her earliest childhood she had watched these obsessions and dreaded them there had been so many big ones and little ones now the government now the dean now the town council now the chapter now the choir now some rude letter now some impertinent article in a paper like wild fierce animals these things had from their dark thickets leapt out upon him and he had proceeded to wrestle with them in the full presence of his family always at last he had been victorious over them the triumph had been publicly announced te deum sung and for a time there had been peace it was some while since the last obsession some ridiculous action about drainage on the part of the town council but the new one threatened to make up in full for the length of that interval only just before falk's unexpected return from oxford joan had been congratulating herself on her father's happiness and peace of mind she might have known the omens of that dangerous quiet on the very day of falk's arrival canon ronder had arrived too canon ronder how joan was beginning to detest the very sound of the name 
she had hated the man himself as soon as she had set eyes upon him she had scented in some instinctive way the trouble that lay behind those large round glasses and that broad indulgent smile but now now they were having the name ronder with their breakfast their dinner and their tea into everything apparently his fat fingers were inserted her father saw his rounded shadow behind every door his rosy cheeks at every window and yet it was very difficult to discover what exactly it was that he had done now whatever it might be that went wrong in the brandon house in the cathedral in the town her father was certain that ronder was responsible but proof well there wasn't any and it was precisely this absence of proof that built up the obsession everywhere that ronder went he spoke enthusiastically about the archdeacon these compliments came back to joan again and again if there's one man in this town i admire what would this town be without we're lucky indeed to have the archdeacon and yet was there not behind all these things a laugh a jest a mocking tone something that belonged in spirit to that horrible day when the elephant had trodden upon her father's hat she loved her father and she loved him twice as dearly since one night when on driving up to the castle he had held her hand but now the obsession had killed the possibility of any tenderness between them she longed to be able to do something that would show him how strongly she was his partisan to insult canon ronder in the market-place to turn her back when he spoke to her and at the same time intermingled with this hot championship was irritation that her father should allow himself to be obsessed by this he who was so far greater than a million ronders the situation in the brandon family had not been made any easier by falk's strange liking for the man joan did not pretend that she understood her brother or had ever been in any way close to him when she had been little he had seemed to be so infinitely above her as to be in another world and now that they seemed almost of an age he was strange to her like some one of foreign blood she knew that she did not count in his scheme of life at all that he never thought of her nor wanted her she did not mind that and even now she would have been tranquil about him had it not been for her mother's anxiety she could not but see how during the last weeks her mother had watched every step that falk took her eyes always searching his face as though he were keeping some secret from her to joan who never believed that people could plot and plan and lead double lives this all seemed unnatural and exaggerated but she knew well enough that her mother had never attempted to give her any of her confidence everything at home in short was difficult and confused nobody was happy nobody was natural even her own private history if she looked into it too closely did not show her any very optimistic colours she had not seen johnny st leath now for a fortnight nor heard from him and those precious words under the arden gate one evening were beginning already to appear a dim unsubstantial dream however if there was one quality that joan brandon possessed in excess of all others it was a simple fidelity to the cause or person in front of her 
her doubts came simply from the wonders as to whether she had not concluded too much from his words and built upon them too fairy-like a castle with a gesture she flung all her wonders and troubles out upon the gold-swept lawn and trained all her attention to the chatter among the girls around her she admired jane d'arcy very much she was so elegant everything that jane wore became her slim straight body and her pale pointed face was always a little languid in expression as though daily life were an exhausting affair and not intended for superior persons she had been told from a very early day that her voice was low and musical so she always spoke in whispers which gave her thoughts an importance that they might not otherwise have possessed very different was little betty calendar round and rosy like an apple with freckles on her nose and bright blue eyes she laughed a great deal and liked to agree with everything that any one said if you ask me said jane in her fascinating whisper there's a lot of nonsense about this old jubilee oh do you think so said joan yes old victoria's been on the throne long enough tis time we had somebody else joan was very much shocked by this and said so i don't think we ought to be governed by old people said jane every one over seventy ought to be buried whether they wish it or no jane laughed aloud of course they wouldn't wish it she said laughter came now here now there from different parts of the room every one was very gay from the triple sense that they were the elect of polchester that they were doing important work and that summer was coming jane d'arcy tossed her head father says that perhaps he'll be taking us to london for it she whispered i wouldn't go if any one offered me said joan it's polchester i want to see it at not london of course i'd love to see the queen but it would probably be only for a moment and all the rest would be horrible crowds with nobody knowing you while here oh it will be lovely jane smiled poor child of course you know nothing about london how should you give me a week in london and you can have your old polchester for ever whatever happens in polchester silly old croquet parties and a dance in the assembly rooms and never any one knew well there is some one new said belly colander i saw her this morning her who asked jane with the scorn of one who has already made up her mind to despise i was with mother going through the market and lady st leath came by in an open carriage she was with her mother says she's a miss daubeny from london and oh she's perfectly lovely and mother says she's to marry lord st leath oh i heard she was coming said jane still scornfully how silly you are betty you think any one lovely as she comes from london no but she was insisted betty mother said so too and she had a blue silk parasol and she was just sweet lord st leath was in the carriage with them poor johnny said jane he always has to do just what that horrible old mother of his tells him joan had listened to this little dialogue with what bravery she could doom then had been pronounced sentence had fallen miss daubeny had arrived she could hear the old countess's voice again claire daubeny monteagle's daughter such a nice girl johnny's friend johnny's friend of course she was 
nothing could show to joan more clearly the difference between joan's world and the st leath world than the arrival of this lovely stranger although madame sarah grand and others were at this very moment forcing that strange figure the new woman upon a reluctant world joan belonged most distinctly to the earlier generation she trembled at the thought of any publicity of any thrusting herself forward of any even momentary rebellion against her position of course johnny belonged to this beautiful creature she had always known in her heart that her dream was an impossible one nevertheless the room the sunlight the white dresses the long shining table the coloured silks and ribbons swam in confusion around her she was suddenly miserable her hands shook and her upper lip trembled she had a strange illogical desire to go out and find miss daubeny and snatch her blue parasol from her startled hands and stamp upon it well said jane i don't envy any one who marries johnny to be shut up in that house with all those old women betty shook her head very solemnly and tried to look older than her years the afternoon was drawing on gladys came across and closed the windows i think that's about enough to-day she said now we'll have tea joan's great desire was to slip away and go home she put her work on the table fetched her coat from the other end of the room gladys stopped her don't go joan you must have some tea i promise mother she said the door opened she turned and found herself close to the dean and canon ronder the dean came forward nervously rubbing his hands together as was his custom well children he said blinking at them ronder stood smiling in the doorway at the sight of him joan was filled with hatred vehement indignant hatred she had never hated any one before unless possibly it was miss st clair the french mistress now from what source she did not know fear and passion flowed into her nothing could have been more amiable and genial than the figure that he presented as always his clothes were beautifully neat and correct his linen spotlessly white his black boots gleaming he beamed upon them all and joan felt behind her the response that the whole room made to him they liked him she knew it he was becoming popular he had towards them all precisely the right attitude he was not amiable and childish like the dean nor pompous like bentick major nor sycophantic like ryle he did not advance to them but became as it were himself one of them understanding exactly the way that they wanted him and joan hated him she hated his red face and his neatness and his broad chest and his stout legs everything everything she also feared him she had never before although for long now she had been conscious of his power been so deeply aware of his connection with herself it was as though his round shadow had on this lovely afternoon crept forward a little and touched with its dim grey for the first time the brandon house canon ronder gladys sampson cried come and see what we've done he moved forward and patted little betty collander on the head as he passed are you all right my dear and your father it appeared that betty was delighted 
Suddenly he saw Joan. "'Oh, good evening, Miss Brandon,' he altered his tone for her, speaking as though she were an equal. Joan looked at him. Color flamed in her cheeks. She did not reply, and then feeling as though in an instant she would do something quite disgraceful, she slipped from the room. Soon, after gently smiling at the parlour-maid, who was an old friend of hers, because she had once been in service at the Brandons, she found herself standing, a little lost and bewildered, at the corner of Green Lane and Orange Street. Lost and bewildered, because one emotion after another seemed suddenly to have seized upon her and taken her captive lost and bewildered almost as though she had been bewitched carried off through the shining skies by her captor and then dropped deserted left in some unknown country green lane in the evening light had a fairy air the stumpy trees on either side with the bright new green of the spring seemed to be concealing lamps within their branches so thick a glow suffused the air that it was as though strangely colored fruit purple and orange and amethyst hung glittering against the pale yellow sky and the road running up the hill was like pale wax on the other side orange street tumbled pell-mell into the roofs of the town the monument of the fierce georgian citizen near which joan was standing guarded with a benevolent devotion the little city whose lights stealing now upon the air sprinkled the evening sky with a jewelled haze no sound broke the peace no one came or went only the trees of the lane moved and stirred very faintly as though assuring the girl of their friendly company never before had she so passionately loved her town it seemed to-night, when she was disturbed by her new love, her new fear, her new worldly knowledge, to be eager to assure her that it was with her in all her troubles, that it understood that she must pass into new experiences, that it knew, none better indeed, how strange and terrifying that first realization of real life could be that it had itself suffered when new streets had been thrust upon it and old loved houses pulled down and the river choked and the hills despoiled but that everything passes and love remains and homeliness and friends joan felt more her own response to the town than the town's reassurance to her but she was a little comforted and she felt a little safer she argued as she walked home through the market-place and up the high street and under the arden gate into the quiet sheltered precincts why should she think that ronder mattered after all might not he be the good fat clergyman that he appeared it was more perhaps a kind of jealousy because of her father that she felt she put aside her own little troubles in a sudden rush of tenderness for her family she wanted to protect them and make them happy but how could she make them happy if they would tell her nothing they still treated her as a child but she was a woman now her love for johnny she had admitted that to herself she stopped on the path outside the decorous straight-laced houses and put her cool gloved hand up to her burning cheek she had known for a long time that she loved him but she had not told herself she must conquer that stamp upon it it was foolish hopeless she ran up the steps of their house as though something pursued her 
she let herself in and found the hall dusky and obscure the lamp had not been lit and she heard a voice who's that she looked up and saw her mother a little slender figure standing at the turn of the stairs holding in her hand a lighted candle it's i mother joan i've just come from gladys sampson's oh i thought it would be falk you didn't pass falk on your way no mother dear she went across to the little cupboard where the coats were hung as she poked her head into the little dark musty place she could feel that her mother was still standing there listening end of book two chapter three